Let's do it. Let's do it. Broadcasting from around the world, you're listening to The First 100, a podcast on how founders acquired their first 100 paying customers. Here's your host, Hadi Rodwan. Good to have you on the show, Ali. How are you doing today? Very good. Good to be on the show. Thank you for stopping by. Ali, tell us a little bit about your company. What's Wishbone? How much have you raised? At which stage are you? Sure. Wishbone is a marketing platform primarily built for small businesses. It's an all-in-one marketing platform. So you can kind of think of it like, uh, you know, HubSpot for smaller businesses. And our whole premise has always been that when you talk to larger businesses, they have a chief marketing officer who has designers and copywriters and developers, and they can sign up for seven, eight different point solutions and integrate them together and hire an agency and pay them ad budgets and all that. Small businesses are the owner is busy running a business and the last thing they want to do or are really equipped to do is online marketing. So we set out to help with that and level the playing field and develop a platform that gives them everything they need in one place. They don't have to go and sign up for different things. So everything they need for attracting leads, nurturing leads, and getting referrals. So their website builder, pop-ups, form capabilities, contests and promotions, email marketing, text message marketing, call tracking and reporting, shopping cart abandonment, referral marketing, CRM functionality, everything in one place. And we've made it cost effective for our small business owners. And as part of the onboarding, we also say you shouldn't get this really powerful product and then have to go and hire someone else to get value out of it. So as part of the onboarding, we'll set it all up and we use our designers and copywriters and all that and marketing experts so that when you get the platform in your hand, you have best chance of success. And that's what we do right now. We're serving more than 4,000 businesses from around the world. Our revenue run rate is about $23 million, growing quite solid and um, growing profitably also, you know, growing about 40% year over year and profitable. And over the years, we raised about $4.5 million when we were private, and then we enlisted on TSX Venture Exchange in Canada publicly, and we raised another $12 million as part of being a public company. So $16.5 million is what we've raised to date. And most of that money that we raised was actually so that we can do more acquisitions and more than anything else so that we could grow faster and add more functionality to the platform. Very interesting. So how did you early on validate your idea? Because there exists, as you say out there, there exists CRMs, lead gen, all of that. How did you validate that an all-in-one solution would work? It's a very interesting question. I mean, when we started, actually, we did it completely the opposite of what I just talked about, and the product was very different, and we failed miserably at it. So when we started, what I just described, it was a local product search engine, meaning that the whole premise was that let's help local businesses, local retailers put their inventory online, and if we can do that, people who are looking to buy products from nearby retailers on their mobile device can have as much ease as if they're going on Amazon and so forth. And that was a premise, and that was a very untested hypothesis, and we really went deep and far into it without proper validation. And that was a deadly mistake. There was data quality issues. There was attribution issues. It was really difficult to make money from it or get customers for that. And we really failed at that business, and we had to pivot. What we learned over time was we 
became better at marketing and sales online for ourselves. And we started learning really what the real pain points are. And as we pivoted and working with these local businesses, we started giving them functionalities for putting their inventory online. And then the next question, well, my product's on my Facebook page, but no one is finding it. So how do I make sure people find me? Then we started developing content and promotions tools. Then they started getting attention and things started warming up. And after that, it's like, well, contests and promotions are good, but they're event-based and short-term. What else can we do? Well, we can have landing pages that are more evergreen. Long story short, we validated by first being the customers ourselves and seeing the pain points ourselves and seeing what works ourselves and keeping our ears very close to the ground. And, and we learned that the hard way that it is, I would say, you know, when I said we were private, and we raised four and a half million. I would say two and a half million of that went into that first incarnation of the business that we got zero value from. And uh, if I started again from scratch, I would definitely not just go blindly into that. I mean, not that we didn't talk to people, but we didn't listen to them. They would tell us things and we would discount it. And uh, that's dangerous. That's very brave from you. You're very transparent on the mistakes. <laughs> mistakes are costly. As you said, they cost you a couple of millions. As you said, if you start from scratch, what have you learned to avoid these from happening? Because they eventually tend to creep up with many founders. They have the same mistakes. They, they have an idea. They go, they build a feature. They might listen. They might not listen, but they still will do these costly mistakes. Is there like certain things you would share with us to avoid these? I think definitely having someone who's had those battle wounds around you to kind of keeping you in check and kind of spotting some of those areas and reminding you is helpful. The other thing is I think in the early days, a lot of times people are quite worried about sharing the ideas and thinking that others are going to steal the idea and, you know, ideas so valuable. And reality is that it's not. Like there's so many ideas in the world. Execution is what matters. That's, I think, one pitfall that a lot of people have. The other pitfall that people have is that they think that it's just about product functionality and if it is good enough, you know, and you build it, people will come. That is not true. You need to be able to actually attract people to you the right way. You need the right sales and marketing and the messaging and pricing that makes sense and, you know, so much else around it. And I think the only way to avoid those pitfalls is don't build a lot. Talk to people, create simple ideas and mock-ups and then show it to them again and iterate on a piece of paper as much as you can. And then when you build also, time box it. Don't let it become an ongoing project that never ends. And, you know, as you time boxing, have the minimum viable product, get it out, be embarrassed by the first version and still embrace that and go from there. Amazing. So you have today 4,000 customers, but in the past, you have 100. Tell us how you got those first 100. Well, we tried a lot of different things, and it was not clean. It was really messy because we didn't know what is going to work, right? I think one of the things that we did quite a bit of was inbound marketing, writing a lot of blog posts and trying to get visibility that way. We spent money on ads as well, Google ads and all that, trying to get people in. I remember one of the stories, actually, we didn't even have a way of charging people yet. We only had a free product and we were like, no, we'll add the payment processing a little bit later. 
and we were advertising to get people into the platform and saying, we'll worry about that. So my investor, you know, when he found out that we sent like $10,000 with a whole bunch of free users that most likely are not going to actually stick around to pay us, he was not very happy. But then that was also something that I wouldn't recommend. I think one of the tactics that worked really well for us was using marketplaces. So we listed on Etsy Marketplace, we listed on Shopify Marketplace, MailChimp has a marketplace we listed there, you know, WordPress plugins. A lot of those ones became kind of the initial marketing for us. They are active, and if you have something that people are searching for, then you can get a lot of automatic pool for your products and services. And that kind of gave us that initial kickstart and gave us the initial customers that we gained. Did you do early on any non-scalable strategy, but a strategy that was important, you know, maybe to get the brand out there, something you wouldn't do now, now that you're in your 20 million run rate? Yeah, no, definitely. We've done a lot of unscalable things. I mean, I remember, for example, I would spend a lot of time on chat support myself, answering tickets and having long conversations. I remember there was this guy who was up and coming rapper and like for two hours we were chatting and the thing was also all the chat transcripts would then be mailed to everyone within the company as well so they were also able to see that afterwards and we talked about everything about him wanting to build his brand up and you know all of those things it even got into issues of race and this and that so i did some of those that i would say are important in terms of having your finger on the pulse but not scalable the other one that i would say you know, another story that I would share with you that was kind of interesting. At some point, through an intermediary, someone came to us and there was request for a campaign for Walmart. In the U.S., Wounded Warriors was one of the events that was going on. It was about thanking the U.S. troops and veterans and the wounded families and all that. And Walmart was doing something about that. And the campaign that they requested was, listen, we want a way for people to thank the troops however they want. And by however, we mean they, they can submit a video thanking them or they can submit an image or write an essay and other people can come and interact on that and vote them and, you know, all of these social interactions. And we didn't have those capabilities back then. By the way, what was also interesting was that it was also free uh, because the more not being scalable because we were really eager and they're like, oh, this is for this greater good and all that. And you want that brand recognition with Walmart and working with them and all that. And I'm like, okay, we did that. And we ended up working with Walmart later on and making money from that. But, you know, so not all was done. But the other thing, though, was we didn't have those capabilities. So I ended up actually coding those capabilities myself. I remember at one point, a lot of those functionalities came, came from... 72 hours of me non-stop working. I think I slept like the minimum that you wouldn't die, basically, right? Like a couple of hours here and there and coded that campaign myself, which by the end of it, it ended up working and, you know, people were happy and all that. And you would say, well, that's not really scalable. You can't keep doing that for all clients. But what it gave us was the three new types of marketing campaigns and tools that we didn't have before that. So we ended up having essay contests, photo contests, and video contests. And we started actually making uh, money from those. So what we thought is going to be so important for us, and we're going to make noise about working with Walmart and all that, that didn't do much for us. But the capabilities we built, we got a lot out of that over time. 
Amazing. Thank you for sharing that story. Today, you have probably a sales cadence, a channel that's working for you. What has right. been the most successful in scaling up from maybe a hundred customer to a thousand customer? In the initial days, we did a lot of inbound marketing and we were very focused on marketing and not really sales. And that's great, but it has limitations. Like it's hard to get scale at a certain point, right? It's kind of like you get the initial product market fit and then you start actually really doing well and the graph going up. And then at some point it just plateaus and it's, it's very deadly when you're in that area. What really allowed us to scale and get out of that stagnation was outbound sales. So I think one of the books that I found really valuable was Predictable Revenue. And when I read that and started thinking about that and putting an SDR team and account executive team and training them and putting these packages together, it really turned things around for us and allowed us to scale the business. And especially when you think about what I said earlier about you know, marketing automation platform for small businesses, a lot of these businesses are not necessarily themselves searching for these capabilities. So you need to actually knock on their doors. That book I definitely recommend. I remember I went to a conference. There was a period, not just us, but a lot of people were quite hesitant to do sales. We were drinking this Kool-Aid that, oh, look, MailChimp has no salespeople and this company has no salespeople. You don't need that. You can avoid it. If you can just have the right product and right onboarding and all that, everything can be great. And in this conference, I uh, met up with Jason Lemkin, Saster and all of those things. And I went to him and I said, hi, Jason, you know, big fan. Why should we do sales as opposed to just marketing? And he looked at me in disbelief of like, what a stupid question. He didn't say that, but it looked like he thought it to grow faster. And then he walked away. I never forget that. It's very true. What a weird question to ask. Why would you do sales? Because you want to grow faster. And then in the same conference was when I talked to some people and they recommended this book and started getting good at it myself and growing our sales team. Amazing. This is very valuable, especially that outbound requires the right team. And well, there is a risk, right? When you hire, there's a chances that people that come in, they're not the right fit. You invest in them and they leave after a few months. Do you have any tactics, strategies, well, frameworks that you uh, have deployed that have helped you maybe land the right people into their roles? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. The reason it's very interesting is that a lot of founders are not salespeople. They're not trained on it. They might even have an aversion to it or they might not have the skills or confidence related to it. And then you would hire salespeople that are supposed to be great at it. And then you say, here's the product, go and sell it. And they really fail miserably at it, right? Because the path is not paved. You can't just, just like that, prematurely pass it to someone else and say, you deal with it. So maybe you can do that. I don't know. But in our case, the only thing that actually worked was I had to roll up my sleeves and be the first salesperson. And I had to prove that, yeah, the SDR part can be done like this. Look, I'm booking demos. And the account executive part, we can close because, look, I've done so many demos and I've closed it myself at this percent. And then now I would add another person to work alongside me and then I can remove myself and add more people. Because unless you do that, then, you know, for example, when we were setting up Outman, initially 
even after I proved it, I pass it on to other people. We have some period where some of our best inbound salespeople were closing at 2-3% for this new channel. And if I had just started with them without myself proving it first, I would have given up. I would have said, well, there's nothing here. We have to move on. But the fact that I had done it first, it was difficult for them to just say it's leads or it's channel or this and that. And it was easier for me to pursue. Thank you for sharing this. No what is the principle that uh, you live by that has helped you be successful in your firm? I think several things, but I think one of them fundamentally is sense of urgency and having intensity and perseverance. Obviously, a lot of people have those, but you know, I can think, for example, in the early days of Wishbone, some of the stories that I told you that we were not succeeding, it was very easy for my investor to give up on us. The reason he didn't give up on us during those periods that we were hardly making any money and it really looked dire was that I was working intensely long hours every day, including weekends and all that. I was in the office until 11 p.m. and then I would go home and then up until I would fall asleep, I would just continue to work and the next day would be the same thing. And that, at least initially, was important. Right now, I'm still working very hard, but not those hours. My life is a little more balanced now. And not giving up, like just going hard at it. And I think part of that also is developing a thicker skin and being able to tolerate pain. Because when you're starting a business or running a business, there's so much pain and issues and rejections and failures and all that. And you just have to persevere and you just have to get good at shaking it off and not letting it stick to you and continue. That definitely has been critically important in where I am right now. I mean, I told you about which one, but even another thing that's important is that my investor was my employer in one of two of the other companies before starting Wishbond. And the reason actually he invested in Wishbond when we started was because back then also I had the work ethic that he was looking at me and saying, okay, this guy seems to be clever, but is also super hardworking. And he told me, when you start your business, come to me first for investment. And I did that, which, by the way, he didn't Im- immediately agree to invest in the company. It, it took a, a year and you know six different ideas before he agreed. But again, without that element, none of this would have happened. What personal sacrifices have you made so far so that your business is successful? I don't know if I would call them sacrifices, but I would say delayed gratification would be perhaps the right word for it, at least in my books. I mentioned, for example, in the early days, the hours I was putting in, and there's a price to be paid for that level of intensity and having laser focus. Laser focus means you're dropping the ball on so much except for this, right? That is the price you're paying, unfortunately. I'm not saying it's good, and I'm not saying everyone should do that, but I don't think anything about Wishbone, the way it has happened up to now, would have happened if I had distracted attention on a lot of different things. So, for example, my wife, a lot of the you know social gatherings and all that, she would go to them alone without me. I wouldn't be able to join or really long, late nights periodically or another delayed gratification is in the early days. I could have made a lot more money being employed somewhere else and just for many years saying, you know what, I'm going to make less money. I'm going to have a worse lifestyle than some other people and all that, but I'm building to something. Those would be, I would say, some of the, I guess, quote-unquote, sacrifice or delayed gratifications. 
Ali, one last question. What's next for Wishpond? Sure. What's next for Wishpond is a few things. I mean, the company is doing well right now. We are also very excited about the application of AI in a lot of different products that we have. We rolled out an AI website builder recently that that's amazing. You know, within 30 seconds, you get an amazing looking website that everything, all text, all image, everything is built around what you said and it's AI generated. And then you have a very easy drag and drop editor after that if you want to then go and make certain edits and you know, give it that last 10% push to make it really truly yours. AI capabilities in terms of ad optimization, some of those. So I think a lot of what is next for us is continuing to apply AI in all of these use cases for our products and also apply them behind the scenes to optimize our own processes and be leaner and be able to do more with less. And other than that, just scaling uh, our sales force and continuing to optimize our cash flow. We've done in the past two and a half years, we've done six acquisitions in the future as well. Amazing. Where can people find you, Ali? You can find me on LinkedIn. They can email me at alit at wishfund.com. Yeah, we'd be happy to talk to folks. Thank you for stopping by and we wish you the best of luck. In your Thank you very much, Adi. Adventure. Have a great evening. You too. Thank you so much for listening to The First 100. We hope it inspired you in your journey. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify, and share it with a friend starting their entrepreneurship journey. Leave us a five-star review. Your support will help spread our podcast to more viewers. 